This is Yehudi Feldman. Shalom. We're going to begin Unit 24A, which is uh, Mishlei chapter 24, verses 1 through 22. If you notice the 22 verse structure, which is takes up the first two thirds of this parak, it's an alphabetical type of structure, but it's the kind of alphabetical structure that requires a little bit of work in order to see it. Sometimes we have 22 verse units in Tanakh which are not alphabetical but are clearly intended to make us think about the alphabet. And the classic example is the last uh, Perek of Echa which has got exactly 22 verses and all the other Prakim and Echa have uh, our alphabetical acrostics. So we have to assume that the writer was thinking alphabet, but simply did not put the alphabetical structure together. But any poetical chapter in Tanakh that has exactly 22 verses, especially in Sefer Met, should be looked upon that way. Now, this chapter also has a section from 23 till the end but that section has nothing to do with the first 22 verses. That's a sub-subsection, starting with the words, uh, you know, Gam Ela Lachachamim, and that's, you know, not related to the section above. It's just added on at the end because it's not enough to fill up a complete parak. Now, you can see the alphabet if you look hard enough. Um, those of you who are just listening to a podcast, I recommend at this point you get out the Hebrew text of the Tanakh and put it in front of you. Uh, I'm going to make the statement now that you can have alphabetical acrostics in a Tanakh without the entire alphabet and that some letters will be missing and you'll have to look to find them and sometimes more than one letter will be missing. Of course, the classic example of an alphabetical acrostic with a missing letter is Ashrei, which has missing the letter Nun, and actually it's not Ashrei, it's Tihilala David, and it has uh, 21 verses, and there are other acrostics in the Tanakh that are missing Vavs and missing other letters, and here you have to look a bit more carefully. But that does not mean that the acrostic is not to be found. Hold it, hold it. It most certainly is to be found. Let's look at verse 1. Al tekanei b'anshei roshav al tetav liyotitam. Aleph is all over the place. Five alephs just, in actually six, just in that one verse. Then you skip a verse, and the third verse starts with bet b'chachma ibanet bayet. Then you skip another verse, and the fifth verse starts with Gimel. The seventh with Resh, but I'm going to say that that Resh could have well been a Dalit. And then you have the ninth foot of Zion. The Vav is always often missing in alphabetical products. The ninth also has a Chet. The He is missing, but take a look at Yud and Yud Aleph and, and, and your Bet, and you'll see He's all over the place. Verse Yud Gimel has Echol B'ni Dvashki Tov, attacked. And then, if you have to look around to find the other letters, and I'm, sometimes an acrostic is not complete. 
Um, but as we come to the end, we have the the Kisheva Ipol Sadik become Urushaim Ikashlu Bara. And that's got Ayan Pet Sadi Kuf Resh and Shin within five words of each other. And then the whole thing ends up with a bunch of tufts out to Tarmarim, two tufts in a row, out to Kane Barushaim. And in the twenty first Pasuk, Yira et Hashem Vamelech in Shonim Al Titarav. That's Resh, Shin, and Tav. As we go along, if I, I'll point out some other things to see in this. But the point I'm really trying to make is don't feel that you have to find all 22 letters when someone's trying to use the alphabet. They might miss one or two. Take a look at Psalm 34, Psalm 25. Sometimes the acrostic works as two or three letters in one verse, like Psalm 112. Uh, the point is, it's clear that the author of the 22 was trying to use the Hebrew alphabet and make something out of it, and, 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 and that's essentially the point in an acrostic. Now let's get into meaning. Now, you're going to notice that this idea was already said before in chapter 23. And it's also being said at the end of this 22 verse unit. But at the same time, and notice that the author is quite confident in the downfall of the wicked, even in verse 22, talking about radicals and revolutionaries, who knows when they're going down the drain. Um, but, but the point basically here is that even though we know that Rishayim are going to meet their downfall, sometimes Sadiqim also fall. But And finally, a person is not supposed to take personal joy in the downfall of their own enemy. So this is a framework of what's going on in chapter 24. What goes on with these people is they're always up to something evil and they all they're thinking about is how to rob their neighbor. This is what they're talking about. Their whole subject of conversation is how can I find some way to rob another human being of their of what they've worked so hard to attain. With wisdom a house is built. And with understanding, a house is established and, and to the point you don't have to worry about it falling down. The rooms are filled with wealth as a result of a person working hard to attain knowledge. Notice that the second part of this verse is not really synonymous with the first. It's more like a progressive parallelism and actually finishes up the two verses. 
meaning wisdom that tvula el chachma. You know, Chabad tries to make use of these three ideas, chachma bina v'dat. Sometimes I wonder if that's what they're for and that's what they're against. But just the same, you know, it's a, it's a good idea in the sense of a person who fills up their house with wisdom and knowledge, you know, will eventually also be rewarded with wealth as well. However, the Tanakh basically is talking about this in the sense of this is what the person deserves and even if they don't get material wealth, they are certainly filling up with spiritual health wealth. And furthermore, the wisdom they're they're attaining has other uses as well. Targum Yonatan reads this as if what is being said is in other words, the wise person overcomes the strong and the person with knowledge is better than the person who exerts strength. And that works with verse 6. A person, wisdom is what decides the outcome of the wars. Counseling, discussing, not just simply going out to war. We read the first letter of the verse as a resh, then it means, means that, you know, wisdom is so beyond the fool that there's no way he can even open up his mouth. It's also possible that what's being said is silence is fit for the fool in the presence of wisdom and he shouldn't open up his mouth. And then ramot would be read more like damot or dimamot. You know, the ratio of the Dalit are often interchangeable. Mechashev l'hareya lo baz mizimot yikra'u. A person who's always scheming to do evil to others is looked upon as a schemer. Have you ever heard people in shul talk about the over there? Once a person gets too well known for this, Everybody takes a look at them and thinks of them that that's all they're ever up to. Zimat ivelet chatat v'toavat adam And furthermore, people detest a mocker. All that they're ever thinking about or plotting is committing another sin. Now, another point Mishra is about to make in the next few verses is Sins of omission can be just as serious as sins of commission. This is something people, you know, have to always think about. What's a sin of omission? You see a person who basically is in danger of something terrible happening to them, and you don't come to their aid. Hitrapita biyom tzara tzara kochecha. If you fail to help a person and rescue a person who could be, you know, in danger of death, hold back people who are, you know, staggering towards slaughter, or and, and that means you basically don't have any strength in the sense of even if you have it, you're not using it for the proper purpose. 
If you go around saying, oh, I didn't know about it, look how people always look the other way. If it means that looking the right way is going to mean that they have to do something. Does anybody remember the story of Kitty Genovese? Halo tochen libot hu yavin v'noser nafshecha hu yeda v'heshiv adam kifalo. Hashem knows that you were there and refused to help. And he is going to pay you back what you deserve for your sin of omission. Now, let's take a look, for example, with the story of Mechirat Yosef. Reuven is the person who comes out of that story looking the best. Why? Because he actually tried to get up and save Yosef. And, you know, despite the fact that he tried, he was unsuccessful. But you'll always realize that he's the only one who even tried. Shimon is the one that Yosef throws into jail because he was there when Reuven tried, and he knows that Reuven went to bat for him. Echo beni devash kitov v'nopet matok alchikecha came de echachma v'nafshecha imatsata v'yesh acharit v'tikvatcha lo tikaret. Wisdom is sweet as honey, and a person should have as much of an appetite for wisdom as they people normally have for honey. But the difference between wisdom and honey is there's such a thing as too much honey, there's not such a thing as too much wisdom. That's number one. Number two, if you find wisdom, you're fortunate, because no matter how much time people put in finding it, Sometimes they just don't succeed. It's not just a question of time. It's also a question of effort. It's a questioning of chazara. It's a questioning of making sure. That's why in schools they give you a test to make sure you know. It's not just enough to feed you the knowledge. You have to be able to produce it when it's necessary. Uh, That's not the case with honey. In fact, too much honey, as we're going to find out later in this way, leads people to want to throw it up. Because that's the difference between wisdom and honey. And if you attain wisdom, you know you're going to have a future. Tikva also could be something like from the word kav. It doesn't just mean hope, it also means string. You're not going to run out of string. This is addressed to the Russia. This in, in the Masorah, this opens up a new parshia, meaning now he's not talking to the average reader. He's talking to the Russia. The Russia is always sitting there trying to ambush the tzaddik, and the Mishle is telling the Russia, even if it looks like you're going to succeed, kisheva yipol tzaddik. Vakam or Shaim Ikashlu Bara. You might think you succeed, but often all you're going to produce is your own downfall. Like the famous Mizmar seven, which we say on Purim, Bor Kara Vayakparehu Vayipo Bishaka Yifal. By the way, I did not mention but I'd like to now that the Echachmawanafshecha from verse fourteen was used by Dunash Ibn Labrat to start the last stanza of our famous Mizmor and Zmira on Shabbat, 
And finally, the most famous line in this entire parak, because Pirkei Avot made it famous. The problem here is that in most Sidurim, they read the Ktiv and not the Kri. So it sounds like, But the Kri is actually, In other words, you have, if you're going to have joy over the downfall of your own personal enemy, Hashem sees that and he doesn't like it, and he may even put an end to that downfall because he does not like the fact that you're jumping for joy at the fact that another person is suffering. Now, this, however, only applies to the personal enemy of a, of, 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 of a person. It does not apply to the enemies of the entire Jewish people. It's perfectly legitimate for us to have been happy when we read in the newspapers that Hitler committed suicide or Ben Laden was finally caught up with and dumped into the sea. Uh, that's something that is a cause for national joy. What Mishle is talking about is your personal enemies. It's addressing this the way the Torah talks about ki tireh chamor sona'acha shor o yivacha. That type of thing you have to be extremely careful about. person who's your personal enemy may be a very good person altogether. They just might have done something to you that upset you. And finally, There is no future for evil, so don't be envious of their temporary success. Eventually, what looks like their bright light at the moment is going to go out, be extinguished, and disappear. Now, you notice the difference between the stress in Mishle and the stress in the VM. In the Nevi'im Achronim, when wicked people are successful, the Navi thinks that to be the fault of the government, the fault of the priests, the fault of the king, the fault of the government that didn't do something about it. And, and, and furthermore, they're not so sure that something will happen to the wicked unless the government does something about it. Sometimes the Nevi'im Achronim even attack Hashem for the fact that he allows this to happen. Mishlech looks upon this as something that, even if you see it now, it's not going to last. In fact, if anything, Mishlech's point of view is very establishment. Fear God and King, my son. Do not mix up with revolutionaries, Zimshonim, Al-Titarav, people who want to change the established order. Keep it om yakum edam because nobody knows how quickly it's going to happen that the revolutionaries or the radicals will be destroyed. And besides, who knows what calamities might happen to them? Okay, with this, we're saying shalom for 22a, and tomorrow we're going to do 24. I mean, 24A, tomorrow we're going to do 24B and finish up the parak and then do an introduction to the five prakim from 25 to 29. Shalom.